0: Thank you, Miss Robin. If you have your Bibles with you this morning would you turn to Mark chapter 15, Mark chapter 15? Mark chapter 15 and verse 16. I praise the Lord for a great week. Wonderful revival starting last Sunday and Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Great meetings with Brother Farnham, Calvary Quartet last Sunday. Uh, just wonderful gospel singing. That type of singing you need in your home. That type of singing you need in your car. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You get the wrong type of music in your life, you'll go in the wrong direction in your life. What you, what you focus on is what you'll go, the direction you'll go. So that's why we have groups like that. And Friday night, uh, we praise God, the youth group went down to Dunellen, had a great meeting there. Uh, about five of us men went up to Venture of Faith in Lake Park, Georgia, the other side of the line, and uh, had a great meeting there. And uh, Brother Greg Lentz, evangelist, Greg Lentz, uh, had uh, Dr. Joe Arthur, pastor there in Atlanta area, preached a wonderful message on, the, on John, and uh, just a really encouragement, blessing. And uh, next year, he's going to have a meeting there, March 8th and 9th. So I encourage any man that, man that can come to go. We had great food, great fellowship, and more importantly, great preaching, great preaching. And it uh, was really a blessing to go. But well, Mark chapter 15, verse 16 this morning. Mark chapter 15, verse 16. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Peturium. Patur- and they called together the whole band. They clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head. Begun to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with the reed that spit on him. And bowing their knees, worshipped him. And they had mocked him to tell off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him. Verse 21, And they compel one Simon of Cyrene, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him into the place Golgotha, which is interpreted the place of the skull. They gave him to drink wine, mingle with myrrh, but he received it Not. When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, what every man should take. About the third hour, they crucified him. The superscription of an accusation was written over the king of the Jews. With him they crucified two thieves, one on the right hand and the other on his left. The scripture will fulfilled, which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors, and they that passed by railed on him wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with him reviled him. Father, we thank you for this wondrous event that happened many years ago, the greatest event in the history of the world that Christ was crucified so that sinners like myself and those who are gathered here could be saved. What a horrible event, we know, for Christ to have to be crucified, but it was the only way, only way for salvation For us sinners, I pray God today you'd help us to recognize the importance of that event. Help us to be reminded of the cruelty of that event. Help us to be reminded of the sacrifice of that event. To be thankful and grateful for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. that was so rich and free to us, but it cost our Savior everything. I pray Lord Jesus again, Father. I pray that for anyone in this room does not know Christ as our Savior, I pray that you draw that person to yourself. And I pray for us as Christians, Lord, that you would help each of us. May there be no distractions, Lord. May you keep nothing, Lord, keep nothing from hearing this, the good news of the gospel and the truth of the scriptures. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been ashamed of anything you've ever done? Well, if you're if you breathing the day and you're honest with yourself, you've probably been ashamed of something you've done, right? Something you've forgotten, something you forgot to do, maybe an anniversary or birthday or, or, or something you were planning on doing and, you, and it didn't happen. Or maybe an activity, maybe an activity you did last week. If, if people were to know it, they'd say, I couldn't believe, shame on you for doing that. You may have loved ones and relatives would would wag their finger at you or shake their head at you because you participated in such an activity. I recall when I was going to school, elementary school, at Brook Glen Elementary in Taylor, South Carolina, every once in a while, though not often I would be asked to walk home from school because my parents couldn't come get me for whatever reason. I remember one time I was walking home with some friends and it was one kid. We always kind of like picked on the kid. I don't know why. Was, he, was, he was just kind of a quirky kid. We just picked on the kid. We just did, you know, we just having fun, you know, but sometimes you go too far. Now, some of you don't know, you, you, some, you never know what it means to go far too far, right? You never, you know, joked a little too much or picked a little. I won't name any names out here, but some of you, you might be uh, used to doing that or be accused of doing that. But I won't name any names, George. I won't name any names. amen (laughs) but I just I guess I picked on this kid a little too much one day walking home from school and I didn't think anything of it you know maybe felt a little bit bad but not too bad because we're just really having a good time the next day in school though I was you know going to class and everything was going great all of a sudden the principal came in through the door and said Mr. Moon I looked for my dad, and it wasn't, he wasn't there. And, it, and she it looked right at me, and she said, come here. And I went to the principal's office, and uh, she began to explain to me what I shouldn't have done that day, yet the day before, and how I shouldn't have treated him and how I bullied him and how his parents were so mad and so upset. And because of that, back in those days when you did something wrong, you got punished for it. I got punished at school, and guarantee you, I got punished at home i was ashamed i was ashamed i was made to feel ashamed tonight this morning the message the title of the message is the most shameful scene in the life of the sinless son of god what happened to jesus christ right before his crucifixion of course his crucifixion but right before his crucifixion was a shameful thing it was a shameful thing how they treated someone who was perfect all of us, as I've just shared, we have our foibles, we have our fears, we have our problems, we have our difficulties, and even on our best day, we do something really stupid sometimes. Amen? That wasn't loud enough, folks. Now, you've got to be honest this morning. Y'all ain't having any coffee. You forgot your Mountain Dew. We all make mistakes. We all do stupid things sometimes. Amen? Amen. Well, that was a little bit better now. And it's getting honest now. In church, we ought to be honest. If we're going to be honest anywhere. Let's be honest in church, all right? We all do some things. But there was a shameful thing how Jesus Christ was treated when he was crucified. Remember, he had already gone through six trials, three before the Jews, one before Ananias, one before Caiaphas, one during the day before the Sanhedrin. He, as we mentioned before, he'd been before Pilate, then Herod, then Pilate again, and now he meets the Romans meets the romans this morning we're going to learn how jesus was treated his last day before his death look back at verse 16 first of all we see the soldiers scorn these soldiers scorn these were of the italian band as i study they had no love no care for the jews many of them did not want to be there many of them were there only because they had to be out of duty out of out of just, just having to be there, not not wanting to be there, many of these were career men, hardened soldiers, and they had contempt for the Jews. And the Bible says in verse 15, chapter 15, they had scourged him. And we looked at the scourging last time when we met, how they took this, this whip with cat-of-nine-tails, with the end of those... Those went with bone and, and metal and, and, and uh, glass sometimes. And they would, they would use that against Jesus. Jesus had been scourged at this point. Jesus had been stretched out, either laid out or tied to a pole. And his, by, usually by one or two men, two Roman soldiers, he would be beat. And typically the scourging would kill a person. And this was actually the hope of Pilate... That this scourging would discourage the, the people, the Jews, from wanting to crucify him. They, they wanted Jesus to be punished, but he didn't really want to be, he didn't want Jesus to be crucified. We talked about that in the past. So he was scourged. We see the sight of the cruelty. They led him away into, into a hall, verse 16, called the Praetorium. This was a palace area. That actually the jews did not want to go into this area they went into the courtyard area interesting they could not go into the because of the sabbath they could not go into the house of a gentile but they could come to the courtyard of the gentile to see jesus christ punished and we see thirdly the scarlet of the cruelty it says there in mark chapter 17 15 17 they clothed him with purple matthew said to scarlet now i know a lot of people look at that and they criticize and say well one says scarlet one says purple you look at something sometimes, and one person will say scarlet, one person will say purple, won't they? It was all a certain color of red, and when they said that, they would say purple. But purple, after it had been used and weather, would almost have a scarlet tint to it. And so, there was no controversy here. I hope you got an opportunity to listen to the sermon of our brother cook a couple weeks ago he talked about different colors the different colors of the robe that we see that jesus was arrayed with and how that was identified with the colors in the temple a wonderful message they clothed them with purple the saluted the saluting in the cruelty verse 18 they platted a crown of thorns and put about his head these soldiers, mocking him, they, they crowned him, a, not a crown, not a gold crown, which his head deserved. Not a pure crown, but a crown of thorns. This was all in joking. This was all in mocking him. This was all in jest of him. Of course, that crown had thorns in it. And on his lovely brow, they placed that crown. His blood flowed down. And they began to salute him. Verse 18. With that crown on his head, they saluted him, Hail, King of the Jews! Laughing him, mocking him. He was the King of the Jews. He was King of kings, Lord of lords, and one day every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it will be a shameful day for these Romans one day who laughed and mocked him on this day. They won't laugh and mock him on that day. And many a person who laugh at him and mock him and despise him and curse him on this day, in this day, will not laugh and mock and despise him on that day. We see the saluting of the cruelty. They platted a crown of thorns on his head and saluted him. Further on, we see in verse 19, they smote him. On the head with the reed, they put a scepter in his hand. They took that scepter from his hand and began to beat him on top of his head where that crown of thorns was. Begin to beat him, pressing those thorns down into his skull. Oh, how they mocked him. Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 unto the son he saith thy throne O God is forever and ever and thy scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom oh they beat him with a scepter but with a scepter he shall rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth what a great day that will be they continue to mock him they begin to spit on him verse 19 they did spit on him There's few things in this earth in this world shows such contempt as a someone who spits on another person They did that to Jesus, and they bowed their knees and worshipped him. Verse 19, they worshipped him. Again, it was just in jest, just in joke, just a play, just a game to them, something to pass the time from their monotonous duty of crucifying people over and over and over again. They found this one who said he was a king of Jews, a plaything, a man who said he was God. And they bowed and worshipped him. They mocked him, verse 20, calling him king of the Jews, king of kings. We see the sequence of the cruelty, the exchanged of clothes. They took off the purple from him, put his own clothes him, and they took that that somewhat royal robe, purple being a picture of royalty, off of him, and by doing so, tearing some of his flesh off of him. They put his old clothes back on him. Began to escort him, it says in verse 20, they led him out to crucify him. Crucifixion was a particular way of punishment and death for the Romans. It was one of those cruelest things. We've seen pictures of it. He would be tied to a tree, nailed there. Sometimes they would be suspended on that cross for sometimes hours, sometimes days, sometimes more, depending on the health of the person. They led him out to crucify, be crucified. Whenever there's a good and godly person, there's always going to be people who are around them. They're going to mock him. Abraham was mocked for what he believed. David was mocked for what he believed. Joseph was mocked for what he believed. You go look out through scriptures, Isaiah and Jeremiah were mocked. Whenever you stand up for righteousness and say, thus saith the Lord, you're going to be laughed at. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be mistreated. Dear friend, if Jesus Christ was mocked, do not, do not be surprised if you're mocked for what you believe in. Don't be surprised at the workplace if they mock you and they laugh at you for what you believe. When you tell them tomorrow, and you should tell them when they ask you what you did yesterday, we went to church. <laughs> we went to church. What do you do every Sunday? We go to church. Just is what we do. We don't go fishing. We don't go hunting. We don't go hollering or motorcycling. We go to church. That should be just what—that's what Christians do. Oh, they may laugh at you. They persecute you. And so, what did you do Monday? Last Monday, we went to church. What did you do last Tuesday? We are to church. What did you do last? What did you Friday? I went to church. <laughs> that's a good thing to be. Hey, man, you stay in church. You stay in of trouble. When people see that, though, they'll think you're crazy. Think you're out of your. They think you're out of your mind. They'll think you're a wacko. Think you're out of your mind. People are used to people going to church on now next week, Christmas and Easter, but you go to church on a regular basis. Don't be surprised if you're mocked. I was reading just the other day, yesterday actually, in my devotion, Second Chronicles, right before the exile. When you think when when they're getting ready to be taken into Babylonia. Because of their sin, because of the Israel sin, they didn't hollow the ground like God had told them to do. Every seven years, supposed to hollow the ground, they didn't do it. For four hundred and some ninety years, they didn't hollow the ground. So God says, "Now we're going to take you in captivity, and for seventy years you're going to be in captivity." You think at that time, when you get ready to face judgment, you think you start to purify yourself and get right. But the Bible says in 2 Chronicles thirty-six, and verse fourteen, more of the chief priests, the religious people. The chief priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen polluted the house of the Lord, which they had hallowed in Jerusalem. Instead of doing right, they did wickedly. So what did God do? Verse 15, the Lord God of the Father sent them by his messengers rising up bedtimes, that means many times, and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. How do they respond? Verse 16, they mocked the messengers of God, despised their words, misused the prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose up against his people till there was no remedy. So it is common practice when people are doing evil and other people come alongside and say, hey, you ought to stop doing that. The people mock the very people that are trying to help them. And that's what's happening in that day. And that's what's happening in this day. We see the soldier's scorn. We see, secondly, the Savior's suffering, verses 21 through 25, the delivery of the crucifixion. They compel one, Simon of Cyrene, to bear his cross. As they were on this way, the Villa Dolorosa, this winding path up to the place of the skull, they find this one, Jesus, stumbling, suffering, having been scourged, blood being lost. He's trying to hold up this cross, carry this cross. Up this pathway, we see the cause of the support, but the siren of the support. This person's Simon of Cyrene. He was a visitor, I'm sure, for the time of the Passover. Remember, this was the time of the Passover. Joseph, the, Joseph, Josephus, the historian, believes over a million people were in Jerusalem about this time of year. He was from Cyrene, the capital of Libya in Africa, yeah, the Bible says that he had two sons with him, Alexander and Rufus. Now, some believe this is the same Simon that we find in the book of Acts, and some believe this one Rufus is the same one we read about in Romans chapter 16. That's one of those rabbit holes, Brother Pete. You go down. You study a little more if you want to. We see the support and delivery, but the side of the delivery, they bring him into the place of Golgotha, which has interpreted the place of the skull. Now, if you go to Jerusalem today, as I was in Jerusalem in January, they'll take you to two places. One place is palatial. It's beautiful. It's ornate. You go inside and they'll have this place where they believe Jesus was and this place. And they'll have people actually get on the ground, worshiping, praying, kissing the very spot they believe Jesus was crucified in. That's one place. And another place they'll take you is another place. About just a few miles away, not hardly even that, there's another place. I believe it's a little more accurate to the place where he actually was. It was a place, you look up, just the side of a hill. That place was by a very busy road. And and as I said before, and as they said to me, they believe this is the the place where Jesus was actually crucified because he would be crucified by a very busy road. And the reason being, the Romans wanted to show the populace, this is what we do to malefactors. This is what we do to thieves. We, this is what we do to people who rise up against Rome. They would want it a very public place. And so they take him to this place called the place of the skull. We call it Golgotha. We call it Calvary. Calvary, the place of the skull. We see the drink of the crucifixion. In verse 23, they gave him drink, wine, mingle with myrrh. Why did they give him the reason for the drink? They wanted his senses to be dull. They didn't want him to scream. They didn't want them to shout, to yell because of the pain, because of the suffering. But Jesus refused to drink it. It says in verse 23, he received it not. He didn't want to diminish his suffering. He did not want his senses to be dulled. We see the division of the crucifixion. They crucified him. They parted his garments, casting lots upon him. What every man should take you see, the custom in the distributing, they parted his garments. And in those days, clothes were scarce. You couldn't just press a button on your Amazon app and get clothes the next day. You couldn't go to Walmart or Target or Kohl's. Clothes were scarce, and they were important. Keep from cold, from nakedness. You see, the cruelty in the distributing, They distributed the garments among the soldiers. They cast lots. They joked for him. They wanted to make this thing a a, a pleasure, a, a prize to keep, to tell others. We got the clothes of the king of the Jews, leaving him on that cross virtually naked. The duration of the crucifixion. We see in verses 25, 33, 34, 37, it says in verse 25, about the third hour they crucified. Interesting, pay attention, listen. As I studied this, interesting, this commencing time, it was the third hour they crucified him. What time was that? 9 a.m. in the morning. 9 a.m. in the morning. The same time they binding the Lord Jesus on the cross is the same time the high priest is binding the lamb to the altar the same time. Remember a million people are in the city. A million Jews are in the town. And they're singing from Psalm 118 verse 27. God is the Lord which has showed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords. Even unto the horns of the altar. And as Christ is being bound to the cross. He's hearing these Jews sing this psalm. At 12 o'clock everything becomes dark. We'll talk more about that darkness tonight. Christ is lifted up between the heavens and the earth. And they're singing Psalm 118, verse 16, the right hand of the Lord is exalted, the right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. We see the committing time, the concealing time, the concluding time. At the ninth hour, three o'clock, Christ... Jesus Christ cried with a loud voice, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And tonight we're going to look at the seven sayings from the cross. And that was one of them. Darkness prevailed. The Passover lamb is slain on the cross, and the Passover lamb is slain for the people. And they sing out, Psalm 118, verse 23, This is the Lord's doing, it is marvelous in our eyes." This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Oh, what a terrible event. But what a glorious event took place that day. You see the soldier scorn, the savior suffering, the spectator sneering. You see the description of him. It says him, the superscription of the accusation was written, I mean above his head, the king of the Jews. The other Gospels, we learn that Pilate was the one to nail on the cross of Christ this designation about who he was. And beside Jesus Christ was the deplorables. Verse 27, one on the right and one on the left. These malefactors, they were thieves. They were crooks, as the prophecies tell us. The prophecy of this duo, the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, he was numbered with the transgressors. He was a number with nice people. He was numbered with kind people. He was numbered with transgressors. He became sin for us, who knew no sin, so we could be made the righteousness of God in him. We see the derision at the cross, at the crucifixion. The spectators. They passed and railed in on him, wagging their heads. The first group here were mentioned of bystanders were passing by the scene. These spectators, as they were on this busy scene, they looked up and saw Jesus, who it says, King of the Jews. Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. They wagged their head. How could the King of the Jews be up here? A spectacle for all the world to see. The one who Healed the blind, the one who took care of the, the lame man, the leper, the one who cried forth and Lazarus came out of the grave. This one's on the cross. How can he be on the cross? These spectators wagged their heads at, at him. Then Sanhedrin, secondly, likewise, also the chief priests mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, these religious people mocked him, laughed at him, they were so glad their plan had come, to, had come to completion. They hated this man. They despised this man, as we mentioned before, because Jesus Christ spoke the truth, and they were all hypocrites and liars. The darkness hates the light. They were filled with darkness. They were filled with rules and religion, and religion and Christianity are far as night from day. These men hated them. Because he spoke the truth. These men hated him because they took care of, they took, he took away of their prophets when he cleansed the temple twice. They hated him. The third were the stealers and those people right beside him, his malefactors. They that crucified with him reviled him. The spectators, the Sanhedrins, and the thieves, the stealers, the people on the right, the left, they railed on him. They, they mocked him. As we see in the scriptures. If you be the son of God, get us down. If you really are Jesus, if you, if you healed the blind, if you caused the deaf to hear, if you caused Lazarus to come from the grave, can't you get us off this cross? They reviled him. They belittled him. They wagged their heads at him. We see the character of the derision and the charge of the crowd in verse 31. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. He saved others. For 15 chapters, we've been reading about how Jesus Christ saved others. How he saved that little girl, Jairus' daughter who'd been sick. We saw how Jesus saved that, that lady who was in the midst of a crowd in Capernaum. There was a crowd of people there. And then she crawled through that crowd and just touched the hem of his garment. And by touching just the hem of his garment, she was healed from an issue of blood which she had for 12 long years. Just a touch. We could be here all afternoon talking about the miracles of Jesus and what he did for people. Things that the Bible doesn't even record Christ did. He saved others. Himself, he could not save. No, dear friend, he saved others, and being on the cross, he was willing, he chose to save us all. He chose to save us all. If he came down off that cross, he could not save the world. He could only save those immediately around him. Oh, he could save maybe the Jews at that time and the, and the Romans of that time, but Jesus Christ came to save more than the people he was around during his time on this earth. He came to save the world. That means everybody. Whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. No matter who you are, where you've been, how bad you've been, how poor or how rich, how good you've bad or bad, he came to save you. He came to save you. That's why Jesus Christ would not get off the cross. He would not. We see the, Savior, the soldier scorn, the Savior suffering, the spectators sneering. We conclude... With a wonderful, 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 wonderful truth, the sinner's salvation. Turn to me, if you would, to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, the sinner's salvation. We looked at the fact that we had, he had two matter factors, one on the left and one on the right. Now I don't know if it's the one on the left or one on the right, but I like to say, in my opinion, it was the one on the right. I like the right side. Amen. I just say it's the one on the right. No, I don't know. And really it doesn't matter. One of those malefactors we learn about in Luke chapter 23, verse 39, Luke 23, 39, the Bible says, and one of the malefactors, which were hanged railed on him, saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. I mentioned that. But the other and rebuked him, saying, dost thou not fear God, seeing thou in the same condemnation? These men had been with Jesus on the way to the cross from 9 o'clock in the morning now to almost getting towards 3 o'clock in the afternoon, somewhere in that time period, probably towards the end. They had been railing, and finally the other said, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art the same condemnation? Don't you understand we're all in the same boat here? (laughs) For we indeed justly. We deserve it. We're up here... (laughs) Hey, when you're in pain and you're getting ready to die, it's time to get honest, right? <laughs> if you go to prison, Brother Eric knows that everybody and the brother's innocent. We're all innocent. <laughs> you're innocent. They're innocent. Hey, but when it gets like getting close to death, everybody just, you might as well just go get right. And he just said it. Hey, we're, we, we, we indeed justly. We're wrong. I'm a thief. I was wrong. You know what? You'll never get saved till you admit you're wrong. You never get right till you admit you're wrong. If you come to God and say, I'm right, I've been living a good life. I pay my tithe, I go to church, I sing the hymns, I help the old lady across the street when the old lady needs to go across the street, I give the Jerry kids, I give to everything, and I deserve to get to heaven. You'll never see heaven. You'll never see it. But if you go humbly recognizing that you're just a sinner, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This thief finally got right. We indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. We deserve this, he's saying. But this man, this man hath done nothing amiss. He was being honest. I've I've done wrong. He's He's never done anything wrong. He got his theology right. Now, he, he didn't have, a whole, he didn't have a, probably a whole lot of Bible teaching. He didn't understand justification. He didn't, under, he didn't understand sanctification. He didn't cl- understand ecclesiology or eschatology. But one thing he did know, I'm wrong, he's right. And, dear friend, that's how it all starts. You have to realize you're wrong and he's right. <laughs> and be willing to place your faith on him. Verse 42, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, got that right too. Remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, today, not tomorrow, not next week, not when it's convenient, not when I want you to, not when you want you to, but today thou wilt be with me in paradise. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I can't wait to to meet that thief in heaven. I'm going go up to that thief, and thief, would you get baptized? No, I didn't get baptized. <laughs> Tell me the name of the Baptist church you showed up to. I didn't get to go to Baptist church. Did you ever tithe? No, I never did tithe. Did you read your Bible through? No, I didn't get to that. Did you go and witness? No, I never witnessed to one person except for that one thief on the cross, the thief on the cross. I didn't witness. I ain't join church. I didn't join anything. I didn't get involved in a, in a Bible meeting, a prayer meeting. I didn't, I didn't read my Bible through. I didn't do anything. I said, what would you do? I believed in that man in the middle. I trusted in that man in the middle. He's Jesus. I trusted in him. And he said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And here I am. Lot, see, folks, a lot of people try to make salvation complicated. It's easy as just that. I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. Jesus Christ the Savior. I'm placing my trust in him. You say, preacher, don't you have to know the whole book? I hope not, because I don't know it all. Hey, preacher, do you, have to, do you have to read all the bylaws of the church? I hope not, because I forget them myself. Preacher, do you have to come so many times to church, you have to make it? I hope not. Do you have to give so much? I hope not, because I won't make it myself. I'm just a sinner this morning, saved by grace. And that's the only way you're going to get to heaven yourself. By the grace of God. By the grace of God. I've been reading this week a book called Isaac Storm. On September the 7th, 1990, Isaac Monroe Klein woke up middle of the night having this strange feeling. You know, kind of the feeling, parents, that you have when you hear your kids playing and all of a sudden you don't hear them playing anymore. Something's not not good. Silence is not always good. He went back to sleep, tried to, you know, rolled over, went back to sleep. Interesting enough, a few hours later, about 4 a.m. in the morning, his brother Joseph got up and knocked on his door and said, I don't feel good. I don't feel right. Something's not right. Don't feel right. You all right? You okay? Isaac got up. They both got up, walked through the town. Isaac had been decided to go to Galveston, Texas with his brother to start a weather program there. Galveston, Texas, was called the New York of the South. It had grown by 30% over 10 years. Ships had come and gone. Had even a ship that go from Galveston to Europe. But he had been hearing reports that a storm had drenched Cuba. Didn't think more of it. He got another report that said, and I quote, the usual, usual signs which herald the approach of hurricanes were not present. In this case, the brick dust sky was not in evidence in the smallest degree. Nothing's wrong. He said, but he just felt like something was bad. He felt there was a, an ominous feeling in his, in, his, in his gut. And he couldn't get rid of it, and his brother couldn't get rid of it. But if you would ask the people of Galveston, Texas, this thriving city in the south, are you, are you okay? Everybody say, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. There's no problem. There's no danger. Look how we're doing. We're rich. We're increased with goods. We have so much stuff. They did not know a storm was coming the next day that destroyed 8,000 people. 8,000 people. Today, if you're here today without Jesus Christ, I, I, your friend, I say to you, what Christ has done for you is the greatest act of love any person could ever do for another person. But if you reject that great sacrifice of love, impending doom is coming. It's not my opinion. It's not the words of a Baptist preacher. The Bible says it. The Bible says it. Don't reject the sacrifice of Christ. Don't reject what Jesus Christ has done for you. And shedding his blood on the cross for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's will is that every one of you have everlasting life. Do you know him this morning? Church is not something just to play at. This is serious. Your very destiny is determined with what you will do with that man in the middle. Father God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, so we could have everlasting life. To read these details is (laughs) is daunting in itself to see what you went through, the scorn, the spitting, the sacrilege, all that was done to your dear son, Jesus Christ. But we know he had to go through this so each one of us could have everlasting life. I pray, Lord, I pray, Father, that everyone in the sound of my voice here in this auditorium, this room, and maybe listening online or sometime in the future has placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Father, draw that one, do what I cannot do, speak to the hearts of people. With head bowed, eyes closed, no one's looking around. But would you be here this morning? Someone might be here this morning and say, preacher, I've never done that. I've never truly asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior. I've gone to church. Maybe you've been a member of a church. Maybe you've sang in the choir. Maybe you've been an usher or maybe an officer in the church. But you've never... Come to the place that you've done exactly what that man on the cross did. Recognize the fact that you're a sinner and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. I've never done that. Now, I wouldn't embarrass you for the world, but I'd love to pray for you and say, Preacher, I've never done that. I've never asked Jesus Christ to save me, but I need to. Would you pray for me, anybody like that, this morning? I don't know if I were to die that day I'd go to heaven. I don't know it, but I want to know it. Would you pray for me, anybody at all? I'd love to pray for you. I promise you I won't point you out. But just raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I'm a Christian, but I want to be a Christian. When I die, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. That's my prayer. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Pastor, I am a Christian. I am saved. But lately, I've not been living like one. I've not been living like a Christian. My actions, my attitude, my direction, my thoughts, to be honest, are shameful. People knew what I did last week. People knew where I went last week. People knew what I saw. Oh, it'd be ashamed. I'm, I'm ashamed of how I've been living as a Christian. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all be honest this morning? If you're honest, you know, we all of us in the room probably from time to time could say, I've not done what I should. I've not been living like I should, but... I need to get right. Anybody this morning say, Preacher, I need need God's help this morning in my life, my Christian life. I've been struggling. Would you pray for me? Anybody at all this morning? I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to encourage you. Anybody at all. Let's stand to our feet. If God has spoken in your heart this morning, you're not saved or you are saved or maybe you're just ashamed of how you've been living. As I mentioned, there's times in all of our Christian life, if we're honest, we need to get right with God. Because we struggle with this flesh. We struggle with ourselves. Sometimes we just need to get right. Maybe some of you did that at revival. Some of you maybe did not do that at revival, but you needed to, or you wanted to, but you didn't. As the piano plays, you need to be saved. I encourage you to come. Brother Clayton's here. If you're a man, my wife's here. We'll come. Share the, from the scriptures how you can be saved. If you're here today and you're struggling in your area, some area of sin. Maybe you gave in the temptation